Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad here as we approach playoff time. We are finally here, Judd, and it's the matchup that we talked about not wanting, the Wild against the Winnipeg Jets. So as we approach the beginning of this series, what is your overarching feeling about how this will go? I don't know why, but I've actually convinced myself, Collar, that there is a chance that the Wild can win this series. Now, here's the key thing to keep in mind. If Jared Spurgeon is at 85% or more, so if Jared Spurgeon, I believe he's going to come back, uh, the Pujo the, uh, said on, this is Tuesday, that it's going to be a Wednesday game time decision on Spurgeon. But if Spurgeon comes back, and if Spurgeon can play 85% or more, I'm not saying that they're going to win for sure, but I can see a scenario under which Spurgeon's back on defense and and then you get into the ifs. If Dubnik plays really well. But the key thing to me is this. The Jets are coming off a great season, but the Jets are a relatively young team. Their goaltender has ne- never played in a playoff game. I believe the, st- the statistic I have seen is that the Jets have 200, uh, as a roster, 200-plus games of playoff experience, Collar. The wild roster is at 700-plus games. Um, with the pressure being on the Jets, if the Wild can go into Winnipeg and steal game one, I think you give yourself a chance. Now, the Jets are going, going to be very tough. The Jets are the better team with, with uh, Suter out for the Wild. That's going to definitely hurt them. Two weeks ago, though, I said add Jets in five. For some reason now, and that this, is, this is because it's such a weird sport, too, I think that there at least is an opportunity for the Wild, if things go right, if they play well in game one, if they steal a game uh, in Winnipeg to at least make this a series and potentially, potentially win the series. So I was on a Winnipeg radio station today and they asked me a really good question that I don't quite know the answer to for sure, which is, would you rather see the Wild and the Jets get into a track meet? This is to benefit the Wild. Or would you rather it be a grind fest? And I think that there's an argument for both sides of that. Because maybe a grind fest relies on the goaltenders. And even though Connor Hellebuck had a great year this year, I think Devin Dubnik is a better goalie, or at least a more proven goalie over a longer amount of time. That uh, since he's come to Minnesota, he has been one of the better goalies in the NHL, even if not in the postseason so far. But Hellebuck is basically a one-year wonder at this point. Last year, he was not really impressive at all for the Jets. So maybe the goaltending would help there. But then on the other side of that, they've got some size that you don't exactly love if it's a grind fest and it's a bunch of one-to-nothing games. Yep. 
if you're talking about track meet, there's a lot of talent on that top six, an unbelievable amount of talent, really, yep. that where Patrick Line, 44 goals, is playing on their second line. Which direction does it have to go for them to win if it's one of those two styles? I think a track meet, you, if, if you're the Wild, you probably lose because the Jets are big, but, but they're also skilled as hell. Um, I think what you need, need to do is this. You need to take the, the, the series that you played against the Blues last year and be tougher. You've got to go. I mean, you've got to get to the net. You've got to get rebounds. You've got to. You, you're going to get beat up. If you win this series, I guarantee you this. If the Wild wins this series, Collar, they're going to get beat up. They've got to be w- willing to, to do that. I sensed last year, as well as, as Allen played in goal for the, uh, for the Blues last year, I still go back to the fact that the Wild had all these shots from the outside, and the Blues' defense, which was big, said, okay, now come get the rebounds, and the Wild couldn't do that. Um, I think skill-wise, it can't be a track meet. It's going to have to be more of a grind fest, and you are going to have to be, you're going to have to be willing to pay a price that the Wild couldn't pay or wouldn't pay last year. Now, this is why, though. This is why when Boudreaux talked about the, the fact as of, Monday's practice that he was weighing starting uh, Greenway on the third line against your guy, Ennis. You do not start Tyler and Ennis on that third line. It's got to be Jordan Greenway, six foot six. And if you're going to win this series, that's the type of guy who has to get to the net and be effective. So while I think it, it might sound good for it to become a track meet, if you do that, you're going to lose. I think it needs to be a grinded-out series, and you have to be tough. And Greenway is going to – I'm not saying he's got to be great, but guys like that have to contribute and have to get to the, the net and potentially get re- rebounds for you, or else you're going to be done in about five games. I don't think that either one of those styles is really going to benefit the Wild. Maybe the Grindfest a little bit more, but without Ryan Suter, that becomes pretty tough. And uh, the fact that you have these mobile puck-carrying or playmaking defensemen in Jared Spurgeon and Matt Dumba, it does give you a chance to blaze through the neutral zone, create scoring chances, and kind of win that way if you possibly can. So, that that, I mean, that's one opportunity that they'll have is to get Mikael Granlund the puck and have him carrying it. We just haven't seen him really succeed in the playoffs and then last year with the grind fests, they didn't win that way. So I kind of go back and forth that, boy, Winnipeg is so skilled. Could be a combination, but, but, too. Right. Maybe you'll have to win some games some ways and some games other. But I think the way to beat the Winnipeg Jets, the one scenario I could see the Wild winning is if the Jets take a bunch of bad penalties. That if you could beat them. Dustin Bufflin goes ballistic. That He's done it before. It does happen. And the Jets are pretty consistently one of the teams that takes a lot of penalties. Yeah. And so having the, all those big guys and having that toughness, that's really good in the playoffs. And, and to go along with the skill, it's good. But if you also take dumb penalties, then that can bite you. And it's one of the things that I always look at is the penalty differential when I'm trying to decide who I think is going to win a series. And the, the Wild, I think, have an advantage there on that special teams. And in the first round, this is a funny thing about the playoffs. The first round features more power plays than average. This is historically more power plays than average in regular season for the first round. And then every round after that, it goes down, down, down to the Stanley Cup. You have to kill a guy on the ice to get a penalty. And then even then, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure. So how how do you weigh um, pushing uh, pushing Bufflin's buttons and getting him to melt down, but not inspire him? Because that that's the fine line, right? Like you don't want to tick him off to to the point where he comes back and wakes up and makes you pay for it. But you're right. If you can get him upset and off his game, but this goes back to grinding, right? I mean, this goes back to getting in front of the net, bothering him, and and using his weakness, which is his temper, against him. Because you don't you don't want to use that and have him get upset and start to play well. But if all of a sudden he's taking a hooking penalty here and a slashing one there, that's great. I just I really like the fact that the, the Wild starts the series on the, the road because I think it's the most overhyped thing to start a first-round series at home, especially if you, you've had a good year like the Wild did last year because then it's always like, okay, expectations are, are high. But this is a series where the Wild has no expectations, basically nationally at least, right? They're going to go in there. They're going to play a Jets team, which is coming off a great year. And and the pressure is all on the Jets. So let's say you get game one. Let's say it's 3-2 OT and the, the Wild wins. All of a sudden, that, that can change things. So, But, yeah, the Buffalo one to me is intriguing because you'd love to throw him off his game and get him upset. But what you don't want, want to do is make him mad, and then he gets engaged and beats you. It's kind of interesting. I was just pulling up the exact numbers that the Wild drew a lot more penalties than the Jets this year but surprisingly the jets took fewer penalties this is in the regular season though so it's it's a little harder to say how it'll play out in the playoffs because bufflin has proved he's a guy who can get under his skin the concern that you have so the last time winnipeg was in the playoffs he disappeared and there was some drama with him and he had one assist in four games and they were out quick even though if i remember they played the ducks yeah they played some tight games yeah but they were out quick Mm mm-hmm go back in his past a little bit and he was a dominant playoff player for Chicago but there wasn't as much pressure on him by any means with those Chicago teams and he had 11 goals throughout the playoffs in route to winning a Stanley Cup I remember that so which Bufflin shows up could be a huge deal and one of the interesting factors of the series is the wild not having Suter is being talked about a lot but Toby Enstrom isn't going to play and uh, Dmitry Kulikov is either out for now or could be out the whole series. So those two guys, their status is questionable. And at the end of the season, Buffcon is playing with Joe Morrow, who's a guy that's just kind of bounced around a little bit. He might have been in the trade for Tyler Sagan and gone to Boston. And then, oh, it was a heck of a deal. Yeah, great great trade by Peter Shirelli. <laughs> Peter Shirelli just really keeps coming through. But he's just kind of kicked around since huh? then. He's just kind of a guy. So they have a lot of talent on defense, but there's also that little bit of weakness because of injury there. Um, so when you look at how the wild defense is going to adapt to not having Suter now, you mentioned if Spurgeon is even 80%. He's, he's got to be a chance. semblance of himself for them to win, yeah. But we've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast. I am focused so much now on what is their top line, and that is Matt Dumba and Jonas Brodine, two players that I think this year with their performance, Judd, proved people wrong that uh, Brodine maybe has been liked for a while, but I think he had a really good year. Yep. And then Dumba, here's a stat for you, and I will say giveaways – can be inconsistent from rink to rink. He had, but Dumba listed mm-hmm. as 52 giveaways this year. Mm-hmm. Brent Burns had 124. Mm-hmm. So even though it is his thing, and that that's he's, them. 
giving away a lot of pucks. Yes. It's nowhere close to the leaders in the league, and I think that that narrative probably could die if he has a great series. As crazy as Dumba can drive people, and I get that, and there are games where where he makes two or three dumb plays, and you're like, what are, are you doing, Matthew? There is a – there. The reason why they kept him and the reason why they traded Scandella, bad trade, but they traded Scandella, and that they worked the deal where uh, the Golden Knights took Halla and Tuck was because Matthew Dumba is absolutely going to be a key to this team. And it's going to – it started – and I get the fact that, that there, there's this perception of his play, and some of the perception's right, but some's not. But the importance of Dumba – is going to be seen in this series. And I will say this. He can move the puck. He he is an instrumental player. I guarantee you if this series goes six or seven, he's going to have two or three dumb plays. And the key to this is very simple. This is where we talk about Devin Dubnik has to stand on his head at times. Devin Dubnik is going to have to bail Dumba out at times. But if he does that, Dumba is going to do or potentially could do a lot. Um it's frustrating with Dumba because, I mean, I, I've certainly criticized him before, and he deserves it at times, but as we've talked about, there is a very good reason why they kept him. And, and the cautionary tales, Brent Burns. The question is this. If you're a Wild fan, would you go back and undo the Brent Burns trade right now? Because I think the answer among every Wild fan is absolutely. Well, guess what? You've got another ver- version, potentially, of Brent Burns here. And in this playoff series, if the Wild wins this, if they upset the Jets, Collar, there is no question in my mind that, that when we do our podcast on it, one of the key things we're going to be talking about if, if the Wild upsets the Jets is the importance of Dumba in the first-round series. Um, so what do we know, by the way, about Carson Soucy? Because Carson Soucy might be the guy who has to eat a lot of minutes here playing with Jared Spurgeon. He's six foot five. That's about all I really know. He's University played three of games. Minnesota Duluth kid who I like a lot. Now the pressure is going to be high. That this is a big ask. Uh, but if he plays, I, I remember watching him in college, and he's a talented player. He's not a flashy player, but that's fine. That's fine. What you need, and what what Brodine brings as well, is this: they're not flashy, but they cover up for for potential mistakes, which in Dumbest case he's going to make. Um, Susie, I like. It's just if Spurgeon comes back and can be a semblance of himself, that's absolutely huge and imperative. But the Wild got some pretty good performances from guys like Susie in the couple of games he played. I thought he was solid. He's not great, but he's solid. Sealer, guys like that. But if this team is going to advance, those guys can't break down. What concerned what concerned me in those last three games, which which didn't mean much, but if you watched them. The problem with those last three games is without Spurgeon, the Wild was asking too much of too many defensemen, and you can't do that for too long, including Prosser. Prosser is a solid, he's a nice, solid player. But if you go to Nate Prosser now and say, hey, Nate, guess what? We're going to rely on you. At some point in time, it gets to be too much. So if Spurgeon comes back and you've got Brodeen and Dumba, and now you're asking for your other defensemen to play well but not as much, I think it works. But that's my point about Spurgeon. If now you, if Spurgeon can't play or, gets, or he starts to play and gets hurt again, and now you're bumping guys up the depth chart, that's a, a real problem. But I think if you spot the Sealers and Susies and Prossers of, of the world in the right places, 
you've at least got a fighting chance. And, and maybe you see how Susie does, and if he struggles at all, then you slide Prosser into a bigger role. And I know the left-right... Prosser worries me too, though. I, I know, I agree. Yeah. And he's a classic seventh defenseman that you don't want to use a whole lot, but if Susie's in over his head, sure. then yep. you're going to have to make a change there and don't worry about who's left-handed, who's right-handed. Just go out there and play the best guy that you could possibly play. And I've always thought that that varies from guy to guy. Prosser should be the type that can switch, you know, either side. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that for sure, but um, most guys can. There are some guys who feel much it's more comfortable. It's not ideal, but it's doable. Right, and he's the type of defenseman that you would hope is experienced enough to be able to play a simple game. That's all you need from Susie, I think, is just get the puck to Jared Spurgeon. But life isn't that simple when you have one of the most skilled teams in the NHL going against you. So my next question for you on this series, Judd, is your best shutdown line, even though it also includes skill, is Miko Koivu, Zach Parisi, and Mikel Granlund. Who do you match them up against? Do you match them up against Mark Shifley's line with Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor? Or do you match them up against Patrick Laine and the second line, Ooh. which includes Paul Stastny? Oh, that's a gr- I love that question. And uh, Nick Ehlers, who's another fantastic player. I would lean, I'm, I'm not sure if you agree with this, I would almost lean the Jets' second line th- that you gave me. Because I think that's the skilled line. Uh, I mean, the, the first line skilled, too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, my immediate response would be the second line, though, that I'd take the Koivu line and match them up against that. And I, I would also be curious about what the faceoff percentages are from those lines because Koivu is good on, on faceoffs when he doesn't get kicked out, which hopefully for his sake he does, he does not as much in the series as he did Stastny during the course very good. of the season. Um, but my, my response... My immediate response is the second line, not the first line. Your thoughts? No, I am with you on this. I think Eric Stahl's line matches up with Shifley's line. And what you hope for there is Blake Wheeler's not the fastest guy either, just like Eric Stahl, that maybe both play at a similar pace because Wheeler is not the fastest. Shifley is a wonderful player, though. I mean, this is going to be a tough matchup for Eric Stahl because Shifley, 60 points in 60 games, has become an all-around player throughout his first couple of years, and what a steal they have on the contract they have him on. Yep. That I, th- I think he has become one of the elite top centers. If he didn't play in Winnipeg, if he played in Boston instead or Pittsburgh, they would talk about him nonstop because he's that good. But... I don't think they play at quite the pace, even though Connor is is quick as the second line, which I think could play really fast. And the 44 goals for line A should just terrify you. Parise. Oh, he's a hell of a player. He really is. Parise, refreshed, rejuvenated. Playing really well of late. Him, the veteran, on the kid, even though there's a massive size difference there. Yeah. But I think uh, that might be your best your best chance. How do you get the most? Uh, because if you're going to to win the series, that this guy needs to contribute both defensively and offensively. How do you go about getting the most from Grandland? Because you know, Gra- I mean, the thing that drives me crazy about Grandland is is when he's not playing well. This is this isn't just as I've said before. This isn't just a good player who you're like, oh, that's too bad he's slumping. When he's playing well, he is a world class player. How do you go about getting the most from from Granlund so that he, because he's had a good playoff games before, and I think he's a decent series. Uh, n- not of late though. 
What do you do to do that? So here's the thing that we don't talk about much when it comes to combinations is defensemen and forwards. Now, not having Suter makes this a little tougher, but who can you put with Granlund that is going to make life a little bit easier when it comes to getting through the neutral zone? Teams in the playoffs make it harder to get through the neutral zone, and that is Mikel Granlund's number one thing that he does exceptionally well, as good as anybody in the NHL. I mean, I see Sidney Crosby enter the zone and, and go through two guys the same way I see with Granlund. He's not of that level overall player, but he's got an incredible skill for that, and Winnipeg will realize that or already knows, and they're going to try and shut him down. Yep. So is there a defenseman who can give him help with that coming out of the defensive zone? So when you have a defensive zone faceoff, can you have Spurgeon out there or can you have Dumba out there, whichever one you think is better? I think Spurgeon is better for this role that can also okay. carry the puck or that can be an outlet for him. Because Koivu is not really going to be that. Koivu is not going to carry the puck through the neutral zone. I don't see Parisi as that guy or that I want him getting beat up trying to carry the puck through the neutral zone. So give him help there and then try to get him making plays on the move as much as you possibly can. Escaping the D zone as quick as you can. Getting their defense on their heels. Because he can beat them. Oh, he definitely He's can. He's got the speed. Now, now, they're going to hit him. But that's the thing is, if they hit him, he cannot disappear. Yes. Granlund. Yep. yep. And, he and can't disappear. For his playoff career, and this goes for a lot of them. I mean, this goes for Charlie Coyle. This goes for Zucker. That these guys have gone completely AWOL when it's come to the postseason in their careers. And this is where when you talk about the playoff experience, it's like, well, yeah, but the Wilds experience has been really bad. You'd almost rather not know that they have uh, done that in the past. Mm -hmm. So if this is the thing with Granlund, he has raised his play under Bruce Boudreaux so much over the last two years. This year, I didn't think he would keep up that pace, and he did. That we said all last year, I don't know if he's going to be able to be that player again. Well, he has been. And he was hurt at times, and so the in- inconsistency was there. But, yeah, when, when he's healthy, he can be a phenomenal talent. 67 points this year in 77 games, and like you said, it wasn't always himself early in the year. Yeah. It's just in order to be considered that upper echelon type of player, it's going to have to happen here. And there are a lot of guys throughout the lineup that you could say that for. I'll give you another key to this uh, potentially series and he's got to play well and if he doesn't they're in trouble charlie coyle yep charlie coyle has the size coyle actually um last year against st louis i think he might have been the only winger who who was uh, who was assertive physically at all and it didn't work uh but in this series charlie coyle is going to have to play well and Charlie Coyle, once again, you're talking about, and Charlie Coyle's not a phenomenal talent, but he's a good player. He can be a, a good player. But if he disappears, you're in trouble again. If you put together a line of Greenway, Coyle, and Cullen, and they physically assert themselves as a third line, that makes a huge difference to me. Because they'll, they can, they can, they're not going to be that fast, but they can certainly drive to the net and create some problems. But that starts with Charlie Coyle. And my question is very simple. Does Charlie Coyle want to play? Because there just seems to be a lot of games, what, 6'3", 218 pounds? There's far too many games where you watch Charlie Coyle and you're like, oh, I forgot he was playing tonight. That is not going to fly in this series. And the third line for Winnipeg's very good. So you're going to have to handle them because Brian Little is usually a second-line center. But with the trade for Paul Stastny, he's been pushed, up, or pushed down the lineup to number three. Nice of the Blues. 
to provide them with Paul yeah. Stasny. In I still division. don't get that. I still in the division while they were while they were falling out of the playoff race, but they were in the playoff race until Saturday night. Nice job, Doug Armstrong. Yeah, that was mad. former North Star traveling secretary. And Armstrong has, I think, he has kind of a history of making some of these really head scratching moves, and that was way up there. Uh, Little. Matthew Perot, Joel Armia, who I know from uh, days with covering the Buffalo Sabres, has uh, taken a step forward this year. He's gotten more ice time, and he scored 29 points for them. That is a bit of a mismatch when you're talking about asking Matt Cullen to play huge minutes. Usually all three lines do. And then can Greenway take on these veteran players? Brian Little, Matthew Perot, those guys have been around for a long time. He's going to have to, though. If Ennis starts the, in game one or plays in, in game one and they scratch Greenway, I'm going to be very disappointed in Bruce. Because, I mean, you've seen him play. And people were excited because Tyler Ennis played well in the regular season finale at San Jose. Every time he gets scratched for a while, he comes back and plays one good game. But And no offense to him, he's a little guy who doesn't bring that much. I'm sorry, but I'm playing the six foot six kid every time against the Jets. And and Greenway too has shown a lot of potential, I yeah. think. So um, it's not just the size, but he's got skill, and he's got the body to get to the net at least, though. And just a, a younger player. I mean, Ennis is past his prime already. It seems like it happens kind of fast, but that's how it goes in the NHL, especially if you have injuries. And this year in and out of the lineup sometimes, didn't produce when he was in the lineup, a lot of nights on the fourth line. There's a reason for all of that. And, right, playing in a meaningless game really well at the end of the year, uh, that doesn't mean much to me. So I'd rather I'd rather have Greenway lose the job and force me to, to put him back in. So, Judd, what do you got for a prediction on this series? Oh, I'm so tempted to say it just feels like, like things are ripe for an upset here. I'm going to – okay – I'm actually going to do it. I'm going with. You're doing it. I'm going with Wild and Seven. Oh my gosh! I just it's too many people are picking a young team that is really good, but does not have playoff experience. And we did. We actually didn't get to what what I think is going to be an absolute key in this series: the head coaches. We have we have been critical of Paul Maurice on this podcast for how long now? I'm still not a huge fan. He took uh, Carolina on a run to the Eastern Conference Finals in the early 2000s. But if pe- people want, want to get into Boudreaux's checkered playoff coaching past, Paul Maurice has a checkered playoff coaching past as well when, when he's made it. Um, I, I'm not buying that Boudreaux gets to the playoffs and collapses. I mean, yes, Game 7s have been a problem, but guess what? That means he's gotten to a bunch. Uh, I think coaching is going to be a key here. The guy I'm putting my faith in for the Wild among others if i make this prediction which i am right now is dubnik who has not really proven that 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 he can put a team on his back but you got games one and two in winnipeg there's going to be a ton of pressure here i could see the wild sneaking at least one game and that's going to change things i'm going to say wild and seven and i'm going to make that same prediction on the uh, Mackey and Judd show on Wednesday. I agree with your take I'm on the head crazy. coach. I've always been with you there on Paul Maurice, and I was shocked that he was still here to even coach this I, team. I am too. To, to be honest, I, I mean, his record since way back when has been really shoddy, and I think that this version of the Winnipeg Jets with a lot of these same players has underachieved. This year, they might just have too much talent 
I don't trust their goalie yet because he's a Winnipeg goalie, but Connor Hellebuck had a great year. I will still pick the Winnipeg Jets to win this series in six, but I don't think it's going to be easy by any means, and I do think some of the difference from Ryan Suter uh, being out is made up in coaching. I just think too much talent, and if you were going line by line, I did this for ESPN for a story, I went and looked at just the best forward groups. And I gave the Jets the best forward group in the entire Western Conference. Wow. I, I think that that makes for a really tough matchup for a team that has good forwards, but also a lot of flawed forwards. Well, I'm probably crazy. No, I don't think so. But I've so. seen series like so this all. so many times before, and especially with, with young up-and-coming teams, and they get in the playoffs, and they lose a game at home, and then they start to press in game two, and things come apart, so... Suter being out is a huge deal, but uh, I just have a weird feeling about this series. And I also, if Dubnik can put it together for one series, it gives you a chance. All right. Well, we will be back here on the podcast again soon to break things down throughout this series. It's a Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. See you later.